0: Tech Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English, with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 750 for the 2nd of July, 2021. This week, I'm a big fan of little utility programs because they usually do just one job, but they do it very well. Windows 10 has a lot of built-in functions you can use instead of spending time, and possibly money, installing extra applications. I have a few examples. In short circuits, crooks will do just about anything to mislead us, including making websites that look like sites operated by banks and businesses. Now it's easy for them to create realistic-looking domain names by using letters from other languages that look like English letter forms. In this week's main article, we looked at some of the built-in Windows 10 functions that perform jobs you might be planning to buy a utility for, Not every built-in function is a good choice, though, and I'll describe one. In spare parts, only on the website, Microsoft has plans for Windows 11, and the panic among some users is both palpable and silly. When internet speeds seem slow, your internet service provider will probably insist that you use their speed test, but getting second, third, and fourth opinions can be quite helpful. And 20 years ago, there were predictions that France's Minitel system would soon be replaced by the Internet. It was, eventually, but not until 2012. Think of just about anything you want to do with your computer, other than maybe throwing it out the window. And you'll probably find there's an app for it. Some are free, some are not but maybe it's worth taking a few moments to see if Windows has the capability already built in. I love utility applications and write about them when I find one that seems especially useful, but this overlooks the fact that sometimes Windows already is capable of performing a task without help from another application. So today, a few examples. When you plug a thumb drive into a computer, it will be assigned a letter. Depending on what other devices are installed, the drive letter may change from time to time. If you'd like the letter to stay the same, it's an easy problem to resolve without finding and purchasing an application. Instead, just plug the drive in, then press the Windows key and type Disk Management. Choose Create and Format Hard Disk Partitions. This will open the old-style Disk Management component that hasn't yet been ported to the Settings application. The USB drive will be listed somewhere. In the example you'll see on the TechBinder Worldwide website, it is drive J. Uh, Maybe I'd prefer to have it be drive X, for whatever reason. So, right-click the drive in the list of volumes and choose Change Drive Letter and Paths. Choose the Change button in the next dialog, and then select the drive letter you want from the drop-down list. Now, when you plug the thumb drive in, it will always mount as drive X. And by the way, this works only on the computer where you set the drive letter. In other words, if you plug the thumb drive into another computer, it'll get whatever letter the operating system assigns to it, unless you go through the same process on that computer. When you buy a new disk drive to use with your computer, it'll doubtless work as expected when you take it out of the box. But maybe you want the physical device to have two logical drives. Why? Well, I do this for organization. The computer has one built-in drive and five external drives. Four of those drives are in a housing that connects to the computer via a single USB port. The fifth is in a standalone external drive. Here's the rundown. Physical disk zero, drive C, has the primary Windows partition, an EFI system partition, and a recovery partition. That's the standard configuration for Windows. Physical Disk 1 is drive Y. It's used as a local backup drive. Essential files are copied there. Although this drive is rarely used to recover files, it does provide quick access to recently modified files if I ever need them. It's not a true backup drive. Backup itself is cloud-based with additional drives that are connected once a week for a third copy of most critical files. And yes, I am strongly opposed to losing files. Physical Disk 2, which is drive D, has a single partition and is my primary data drive. Financial records, word processing files, spreadsheets, website development files, photographs, medical and legal documents, and email are all stored on that drive. Physical Disk 3 has two logical drives, F and H. Music files and various other media files are on drive F. Drive H serves primarily as a scratch drive for temporary files, but the local copies of Google Drive files are also there. Physical drive 4 is disks E and G, Website production files, non-photographic graphic files, publishing files, reference works, initial scans of old photos and film, and cache files for some applications are on E. Drive G is where all downloaded applications are stored along with their licensing information. Family videos, recorded Skype calls, and a few other kinds of files are stored there. And Physical Disk 5 is Drive I. It's labeled miscellaneous. It contains photos, email, and documents from my wife's computer to ensure that they are backed up. Historical videos, local copies of OneDrive files, and a lot of antique documents. I retain these only because I might possibly need to look at a copy of a 1993 spreadsheet someday. The fact that I have never had to do that doesn't change my opinion that I should keep them. Alright, so maybe that should all be filed under too much information. My main point here is that you might want to divide a large disk drive into several logical drives. A four terabyte drive could be partitioned as four one terabyte drives, for example, or two two terabyte drives, or any other combination that adds up to four terabytes. There are plenty of applications that can be installed to perform that task, and they offer some functions that Windows doesn't with the built-in Disk Management tool. That's the same one we just used to assign a letter to a USB drive. But the built-in tool will handle most common tasks, and it's already there. You'll see a screenshot on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows Disk 2, that's logical drive D, Maybe I'd like drive D to be a little smaller, so I could add an additional drive on that same physical drive. To do that, I'd select the disk in the Disk Management tool, right-click it, and select Shrink to make some space available. It's a 3 terabyte drive that's about half full, so I could shrink the logical drive to 2TB and use the remainder to create a new drive. After the shrink process, I would see a new partition shown as unallocated, To create a new logical drive, I would select it and choose the option to create a new simple volume. When that was complete, I would need to format the drive and then optionally assign it the drive letter of my choice. There are lots of tools for dealing with wireless and network settings. Most people have their devices connect automatically to their Wi-Fi router, and you probably told the device to remember the passphrase, so you might not remember what it is. When you have house guests, you may want to give them access to Wi-Fi, but perhaps you have forgotten the passphrase. Now, before explaining two easy ways to find the passphrase, neither of which requires spending money on an app, let's consider a security issue. Guests should never have access to your primary network, and that's why a lot of routers offer a guest network. Those who use the guest network will have no access to your network shares. But if you need to give someone access to the Wi-Fi router, at least two quick and easy methods exist to remind you what the passphrase is. You can open the control panel, then move to network and internet and network connections. Locate the Wi-Fi network, right-click the icon, and choose status to open the Wi-Fi status window. Click the wireless properties button to open the status window for the network, and choose the security tab then click Show Characters, and you'll see the Network Security Key. Or you could use a browser to connect to your router, open the Management section that displays wireless properties, and you'll find the passphrase for any active networks right there. You can use the Windows File Explorer to improve the Windows File Explorer, Now I rarely use the Windows File Explorer because Cuter works much better for me, but the built-in File Explorer does have some helpful tricks. If there's a folder you need to visit frequently, navigate to the folder and right-click it, then select Pin to Quick Access. This will place a link to the directory in the top area of the File Explorer's left column. Or maybe you'd like to change the appearance of a folder so you'll be able to find it faster. Select the folder, right-click it, and select the Customize tab, then click Change Icon. This will open shell32.dll, and it'll display the icons in that file. Choose the one you want and click OK. Now, you're not limited to just shell32.dll. Any file that contains icons can be used, and you'll find a huge list of those files on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week about checking the health of your disk drives. All modern disk drives include firmware to monitor the drive's self-monitoring analysis and reporting technology, or SMART, status. Several handy utilities display the status figures, but a single PowerShell command also does the job. Open PowerShell and type WMIC disk drive get status, comma, size, comma, model, The command will also work if you use the command prompt, but it's better to use PowerShell whenever you're using a command that involves WMIC, that's the Windows Management Instrumentation Command Line Utility. To obtain a more useful report, run PowerShell with administrator permissions and enter the command get-disk-snv, that's the short form version of get disk storage node view. After a few moments, PowerShell will display a report for each drive. The report shows the disk number and health status, as well as several other useful bits of information. If all drives are shown as healthy, the smart system has found nothing that indicates potential failure. However, just as a person who has passed a rigorous physical exam might drop dead while leaving a doctor's office, healthy is not a guarantee that the drive won't fail. Anything other than healthy, though, means you should replace the drive and do so immediately. Those are just a few of the tools that are included as part of the operating system. The more familiar you become with these tools and others that come with Windows, the more you'll know about your computer. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation In short circuits, crooks will do just about anything to mislead you, including making websites that look like sites operated by banks and businesses. Take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see two letters E and E. In a single line of text, I had my text editor identify all of the lowercase English E letters. You'll immediately see that the first letter that looks like an E isn't highlighted. Why is this? Well, because it's the Russian letter that looks like an English E, it's pronounced Y. Likewise, O, T, K, S, and A look like English equivalents. So, if you were directed to a website with a URL of, for example, take-care.com, you might not notice the difference if the displayed URL used some Russian letters. And by the way, someone has registered TakeCare.com, but there is no associated website, at least not yet. The other domain using the Russian characters is shown as being available. The T and K letters should give the scam away, because they don't look exactly like their English equivalents. So a clever scammer probably wouldn't use those letters. But domain names can now be registered with non-English characters. Greek and Russian are just two languages that share several letter forms with English. The Russian letter V looks like a B, Russian letter ME looks like an M, the Russian letter N looks like an H, the Russian letter X looks like an X. All are similar to English letters. So it's possible for scammers to create domain names that appear legitimate, but aren't. When coupled with graphics stolen from a legitimate site, a fake website can appear to be completely real. Crooks no longer have to depend on fooling people with obfuscated domain names like takecare-com.support.fake-domain.com. They can just use what looks like takecare.com with its Russian characters. And that is another reason why it's important not to trust links in email messages, even if they look right. If you get a message that looks like it came from your bank, stay away from the link, open a browser, Type the bank's URL manually, or use your password manager to open the site. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website, and tell me if you'd be able to tell the difference between two domains, one that looks like bankofamerica.com, which is real and registered to the Bank of America, and another that looks exactly like bankofamerica.com, which is fake, and by the way, it's available to be registered. Be careful even when making online payments. Scammers have been known to attack legitimate websites that offer online payments and redirect buyers to phony sites that appear real. If the site you're visiting redirects you to PayPal or some other payment site, it doesn't hurt to be extra careful by copying the domain name part of the URL and then using a Whois service to confirm that the site is actually owned by the right organization. (laughs) Because Windows provides a lot of built-in functions that take the place of separate applications, you might be wondering when to use an application instead of a built-in function. Sometimes it's just a case of personal preference. You might like the way that an application works when compared to the built-in function. Take Notepad, for example. It has improved quite a bit in the past decade, and some useful features have been added. But if you really need a text editor, you probably need more than what Notepad offers. Otherwise, there's really no strong argument one way or the other. Sometimes, though, it makes absolutely no sense to use the built-in function. Here's an example. The command line and PowerShell can both be used to access the built-in file transfer protocol, FTP. Or, for $0, you can acquire the FTP application FileZilla, You'll still have to install it, of course, but that takes only a moment or two. And you'll need to define a target account, which might take another moment or two, but you need to do that only once. It's been a very long time since I've used a command-line FTP application, so I thought I'd give it a try for this week's Techbiter Worldwide. After launching the command prompt, but before starting the FTP process, I needed to open the directory that contained the file I wanted to transfer. That meant moving from C, users willy, to E, xamp, htdocs, Then I started the FTP application with the command techbiter.com. Next, I entered my username and password. Once connected, I needed to determine where to place the uploaded file, so I asked the server for a list of files using the dir directory command. After identifying the directory I wanted, temp, and moving to that directory using cd space temp, I requested a list of files on the local machine exclamation point dir. Putting an exclamation point in front of the directory listing command causes the command to be run on the local machine. The file I wanted to upload is .htaccess, so I issued the upload command put .htaccess, and then confirmed that the file had been uploaded by using the directory command again, and logged off with buy. Now, if that seems like a lot of work to upload a file from my computer to the TechByter Worldwide website, it is. Instead, I could have just opened FileZilla and done this. Select the TechBiter account from a list of directories, which would log on and make the active local directory e xamp techbitercom and the active remote directory public underscore HTML. Click dot dot in the remote directory tree to move up one level, then click temp to enter that directory. Next, I'd click and hold .htaccess on the local computer and drag it onto the server. Instead of taking several minutes and requiring a lot of typing, the task consumes less than a minute. So Microsoft may offer a built-in application that can accomplish a necessary task, but it's not always the best option, particularly when there's a free application that does the same job in considerably less time and with much less effort. There is no difficult way to get to spare parts, just the standard easy one. Open the TechBiter Worldwide website and scroll down to see this week's articles. Microsoft has plans for Windows 11. The panic among some users is both palpable and silly. When internet speeds seem slow, your ISP will probably insist that you use their speed test. But getting second, third, and fourth opinions can be helpful. And 20 years ago, there were predictions that France's Minitel system would soon be replaced by the Internet. It was eventually, but not until 2012. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.